0: So good day, everyone. Welcome to Runtime Reverie, Episode 3, newly rebranded and hot off the press. We've got Patrick Smith here, Craig Sullivan, and Armin. Uh, we're going to be talking about some various random engineering and software-related subjects that have come to our attention this week. So
1: um, Craig's got a couple of topics. Do you want to kick us off, Craig? What's the first one? Oh, uh, Look, I'm going to go with actually topic of developer happiness and what makes people happy in their work it's one of those things that comes up in basically every place i've ever worked at you know people who are happy in their job produce great things and you know that affects the whole business you know of great products um but i don't think people actually understand the essence of what makes people happy in their work and especially with someone like patrick you know I reckon at the moment, he's probably the happiest I've seen him at the moment working on his WebAssembly and those sort of things, yet not in a corporate job as such. So I was sort of keen to find out from Patrick exactly, you know, what's making him happy working on that and how that sort of uh, has changed from other bigger corporate stuff he's done in the past. Um, And yeah, sure. It's an
0: interesting reflection. And, you know, just to point out, you know, we've all been doing this for somewhere between 10 and 20 odd years so uh we've <laughs> probably seen a, a good spectrum of uh different work environments in different places and you've seen the big business you've seen the small business you've seen the your own hustle and I wonder if, do you think there's a correlation there pat is it is it inversely correlated the bigger the business the less happy um oh
2: i think i don't think uh I, my experience can necessarily generalize, but who knows? Um, like, I start, started getting into, like, writing HTML, like, early 2000s. Like, it would literally be, like, 2002 or, like, maybe even early, like, GeoCities and stuff. Like, first started playing around with that stuff. So I was always curious about um, the web and... Um, yeah so that and then i'd studied multimedia design so that was like because I, th- I actually thought at the time oh, i could study computer science but i'm not sure if that's quite what i want so i'd go in the sort of slightly more designer angle and then out of out of uni i needed to make money so i did freelance web development and it, i didn't make um much money at all doing that but um it's so and then I, then i did a startup and then so spent 3 years pouring my soul into that and it was like the most enjoyable work I've probably ever had um which I'm reliving now doing setup stuff as well so the commercial stuff was to me always a compromise um and I've, whether, whenever I'm in an organization doing it for money it's like I have to try and find that thing that's like close to the startup stuff for me um so yeah for me the most depressing thing is Get getting given a ticket with no context, like it's all written out. I don't have to ask any questions or put myself in the user's shoes or anything like that. That to me is like a lifeless sort of work. So, um, but other developers I know are really happy. They don't, they just want to be given a cool problem to solve and and um, yeah. So I understand that, but it's for me that uh, gets boring after a week. So um,
1: yeah. See, one of the things i found was that people who resign from companies tend to not do it because of the money you know or you know if they're unhappy in this place you know it's you know they'll always give you the nice answer on their way out you know to the new opportunities and everything else but often it's because they were just unhappy or unappreciated
0: yeah they'll, they'll do the it's not you it's it's me yeah but yeah,
1: there's, there's, yeah. The, there's the nice answers and then there's the answers you get offline which are more accurate you know <laughs> very very radically different than what you get in the public slack channel but yeah i've always thought of that as that uh that philosopher with those three ingredients of you know happiness is you know, something to work on, you know, someone you love and something to hope for. And if those three ingredients aren't there, and when you apply it to work and you go, am I working on something with impact that people actually enjoy and appreciate or is it just, just something that just has to be done? And, you know, do you love working with the teammates around you? You know, do you, you have adversity? Are you striving for big things? And then that leads into that hope, you know, what are you hoping to achieve? What, what's at the end of the tunnel? What it you know? What are the big goals? You know, if the goals aren't big enough, people leave as well. Um. Yeah, and it's fun to watch how that affects different people, right? positively, and then trying to get cultural change in an unhappy spot too, in order to maintain ret- retention. It's very hard to do.
0: Your your three points, uh, I think, sound very much like what um, Daniel Pink raised in Drive. I don't know if you read that book oh, ten more years ago. Um, have you read Daniel Pink's book? I've called read one Dwarf. of his books, sorry. Sorry, go, go ahead. I've
2: read one of his books, but it hasn't. I don't think it was Drive.
0: Yeah, there's a book he wrote called Drive. I, I was just looking it up to see what year it was published, but it was I'm guessing about 10 years old. Um, but he talks about those three things again, uh, and very similar to what you said. I think from memory, he calls it to live, to love, and to leave a legacy. Um, those are the three things that drive people to do anything um and i think you, you know it's absolutely about that like you have to uh, feel like you're it's not about the, the whether the business is big or small it's not about whether no. a startup or an enterprise it's about whether you know are you able to to practice your craft and do a good job at something are you able to learn and find some meaning in what you're doing and um are other people finding utility from it which is the, the legacy part but um yeah, I don't think it's big or small. I, I found, um, personally, really good, great work experiences in very, very large businesses, and I found bad experiences in small and 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 vice versa. It really
1: I've, watched, I've, I've watched two, two people land at a large company in two different areas and can have two radically different experiences. different experiences. Some will say that was a terrible company to work at, and others will say that's the best job I've ever had. Mm. You know? So trying to find out what the differences between those places when basically a lot of the bureaucratic structures are the same and, you know, the the things you have to go through are the same experiences. You go, know, and what was different? And there was small things, you know, like the people around them, they, they gelled together, you know. Um, in other teams, they were working solo as, and you know, as a developer working on your own in the corner kind of sucks you know you're not going to get the growth that you're going to get from someone else contesting your ideas and saying yeah mate i don't think you know what you're on about there you know and showing you your their way and you know and learning So growth you know so it gives you that something to do really well um i think that's sort of important for me i don't know if it's you know the same with you two guys but working with great people is for me number one absolutely
0: absolutely number one the most important thing is great people yeah who who you're working with who you're learning from who you sitting next to
1: that's yeah what you're doing sort of comes second right which comes into that mission of what you're doing and 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 how you how you learn how you develop how you thrive how you make mistakes um you know and that hope is like you know what do you want at the end of it what's it going to look like in one year two years five years you know where? How do I fit into that sort of picture? I think they're those three pillars. Sort of seems to work out right.
0: This is this is where the business's culture really makes a big difference. Because even if you have great people, if there's a culture of, um, you know, being antagonistic to each other or not not being collaborative, or they just there's there's a lot of negative things I've I've seen in businesses that can, even with the greatest people, can still hamper them working well together, mm. um, whether it's between teams or even in your team um so uh, it's it's not just about you know do you have free lunches or like no coffee in the morning or whatever it's it's the way you work the way you communicate the the way the business likes to make decisions the way that it communicates to everyone or and between people um
1: combined with who's there yeah yeah what you said you can take great people and put them in a bad environment like you you would you'll have the wrong impression of them you know, you'll think that they're bad people as well. We've all worked in places like that, and you meet them outside of that place, and you go, "Yeah, you're all right." But
2: <laughs> for, for me, a big um part of why I find I think like Melbourne's been an interesting case study. And I'm, I'm not gonna say like I you know been there and seen it all. Like I've just seen that small sliver, but. It feels like Melbourne had like a renaissance like 10, 15 years ago with like a lot of startups and those startups got really big and successful and that culture changed. And um, it yeah, maybe some of the magic got a bit lost there in, in those cultures. Um, but for me, like when I go to work at some of the places, I actually just prefer if, if, if the management upstairs would just sort of say like, hey, we're just, basically like either we just need to get profitable or we're chasing growth and just like be honest about that but when you're in a place and they like pretend it's all this like other stuff and feel good sort of stuff and mm. blah 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 you know you know like a, a lot of, I'm not saying like that, a lot of a lot of places do care about the customer but this ext- it can get sort of if the people upstairs are having these executive meetings and talking about profitability and that sort of comes down in a, a different shape differently. It just it just gets distorted. And that's where things like teams start to fight, because it feels like you're going in one direction and they're going in another. And they're like trying to like squeeze this team to make it a different shape. And you just, it would just <laughs> be better if it was just like, hey, we want to make money or hey, we need to be profitable. And it's like that,
1: that simple. <laughs> well culture changes as companies grow right culture for a startup and then as it goes for a growth stage and then as a more established one it will go from really bold and ambitious stuff where you'll just take huge risks because you just have to right and mm-hmm. then you start having something towards and then when it gets more evolved it becomes more defensive in its nature and small increments doing you know a small improvement over a large you know um customer base actually equals big results for them so they don't want to risk that i get all of that sort of stuff. But you can always interpret things differently too. You know, you could have one person going, we need to focus on profitability. I reckon the place I was, you know, one of the places I was happiest that actually just rephrased that totally differently. It was more a startup sort of size. And it was like money is not money. It was customers voting that you've done a good job, right? And so we would actually use that as our trailing metric of whether the features that we shipped, people loved it because there was a tight correlation between doing that and signups and stuff. And that was really good to watch because the happiness wasn't the money. The happiness was the customers saying, thank you, you know, and signing up for it to me. And
0: just
2: that's just, one week, Yeah.
1: I'll, I'll and just, that's just good. That's just good business. Like that's just a good
2: business strategy to be customer first. It's just like, that's going to get you, um, often lead to success. So yeah.
0: I'm curious, how do you to like on the subject of this, this culture and what you know what the business is trying to do to keep people happy. That what's happening in in many businesses currently is there's a lot of political activism that's that's sort of seeping in into into the mindset. How do you feel about businesses taking positions on things like that publicly? And we've seen this over the last last year with many, uh, we don't know you own details, but like every every sort of political issue or social issue often some businesses take a position others try and remain totally agnostic or they're just about the thing they're trying to do they're not trying to take a political position but sometimes a lot of that bleeds in and and it you know what, what's the cause of that how do you feel about it like what what do you think
1: i think i'm i'm lucky like right? because i've worked you know in with people overseas right and their nations are different to ours right? And the cultures are different as well. Like you can't say that there's a developer while you're nine to five, you're just based on code. You have no impact from the rest of society. It exists. Um, And, you know, especially when it affects the people you work with, you know, and it will sometimes affect them far greater than it will affect you. So you can't just say, nah, it's not important because to them it is. But I also don't think that companies should be trying to take a stand on it, right? You take a stand on it, you also are basically siding with one side over another and, you know, people having thoughts, you're allowed to have dumb thoughts. You're allowed to have dumb opinions compared to other people, right? The, the, the way we've argued just from me being from being an older guy now, right? And you, you live longer. It's one of those things that's changed in society dramatically where those arguments are not balanced. Like you can't just argue and say, I mean, I don't agree with anything you say but we're all good anyway. You're allowed to think differently. Yeah, You know, we, we go to extremes these days and that, I think, doesn't work well anywhere where you put it.
2: Yes. Oh, no, I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to convey enough nuance. I think for me like we we live in this bubble of our lifetimes and we think we think we think we know what today is and we think we know what the past was like and so we see this difference to oh how things used to be i just i think we um we get thrown off by that so i think there's like this um sort of beam of like business used to be neutral business didn't used to have any opinions like i just don't think that's true i think if you study like the 20th century it's always been political and like po- what is political is subjective so um and things get so it was always there.
0: there there's always
2: i think it's always there and and diversity is good i don't mean diversity as in the um i mean whatever like i don't have a problem with that but i like there's this um like if you believe in free expression then companies maybe you know a company having a particular position on something is is fine because like someone's passionate about whichever way like I, i'm not really a big believer in boiling things down to left and right because it's it just sort of takes all the nuance out of it but if you sort of believe like say oh this person's particular they're more right wing and then they create a company and then the company expresses their their views like yeah that's what happens and if the same left wing person does the same that's just what happens. like what are they supposed to do, like, if that's what's powering them, if that's what's motivating them, then that's just what will happen. So, um, I'm a strong believer in, like, conversation, I um, need to listen to people more, um, The sort of conformity, which, going from whichever direction, it's not really, um, people have this, oh, I know what's right, I need to conform- make this thing conform to what I believe, and usually that stuff just, like, backfires, and. Yeah. Um, but the, you know this doesn't
1: work
0: yeah interesting yeah,
1: See, I'm, think- I'm, I'm old i'm old enough to know that you know when the internet came about trying to come home and tell people this is cool from the internet you know it's going <laughs> to be really cool right so previously if you were a your big personality big opinions and you're telling everyone guess what you're probably going to tell three people right now you can just go on to your socials and put it out there <laughs> and everyone can hear everyone's opinion so you know the noise quotient is just so much greater so even though we've always had it
0: the, also the consequences right like what was what was that beer brand in the us that just got destroyed overnight because of a position they took i don't remember the details but i don't drink american beer but like, <laughs> they, they take a position and overnight their, their business is wrecked right um, you know there's there's so much amplification of um a- anything you do in the public light that uh some of those steps can be disastrous and
2: yeah yeah i think that like uh i think they did that there's been brands in the us that are using like pride adding pride um colors and stuff and i think target got ta- um, got targeted um i got a back backslash uh back backlash Flash. over o- over that and Again it's just like in our current culture it feels like we have to decide who's right who's wrong oh i'm on this side i'm on the side of target oh, i'm the, i'm on the opposite side they did the they did the wrong thing mm. and for me that's just so it's obviously tribal like there's a um, lot of discussion about that but it just it just takes it, it for me it's just i would just sit back and go oh that's interesting that's what happens and i i can sort of understand both sides and i sort of feel a bit i can be both cynical i can be both a bit skeptical about these brands trying to um use that stuff for marketing advantage but i can also be a bit sad that people have such a strong feeling about it that they get you know really angry and um like i just it's for me it's just something that happened and like you need to like you can learn from it it's not like I suddenly have to like side with a particular viewpoint and go that was, this was, this is right. That was wrong.
1: Yeah. We're lucky though. Right. We don't have to like on our day job with the people we work with don't have to take sides. We've got this nice little thing. Like, you know, my day day to day job at the moment, you go, man, we just need to talk react native and typescript and cool stuff. And, you know, transitions from one screen to another, and it's a great leveler. It doesn't matter what your background is, what your beliefs are, or anything else. tech rules, to me, that's actually one of the joys of going to work. You know, is it isn't the things that are different? It's the things that are the same that you all all love, right? So it doesn't things
0: that be- bring us together. Whether you use you know Vim or Emacs, right? You know that's what brings us
1: together. Spaces or tabs? Yeah. Well, I look, look, not. Vim and Emacs people, you know, we're going to have those dividers. <laughs> we can, we, can de-
0: we, yeah, this is what humans do. They just debate and you know, yeah. have conflicts on anything. You can, you can put two people that are identical in a room and eventually they'll find something to disagree on. And complain.
1: it all, it all starts with do you have semicolons in JavaScript, to be honest? <laughs> That's a great one. You know, I always was a big fan until one day
0: you just hacked my, um, config file and then all the semicolons disappeared and i didn't notice for a while until i stopped missing them so much
1: yeah. we're going to start a flame war you know that yeah but yeah. there is only one, one right answer
0: hey yeah let's move on to this testing thing i'm really curious uh, you want to talk about uh testing practices is that right
1: yeah it was it was an interesting discussion i was, ha- was having with some um other engineering managers and they were explaining that their tests are flaky right and the, thus the cause was badly written tests. Whereas I was sort of pushing forward that no, you've actually got to keep digging deeper. Right. That if you want long-term fixes, that the bad test is actually the trailing indicator of your process and you do in the system, right? So if your system is unstable and your tests are not passing, you know. You know, where it's one in 10 will pass, and they go, oh, well, I've got the quick green on C, I'm going to hit go, right, (laughs) and then push it forward, then you've probably got the whole concept of what development is a little bit askew, and it's not quite right. And so the conversation went from the flaky test to what made the flaky test. Then you go, well, what made flaky test was the flaky code, right? And actually, it wasn't actually the code or the test. It was actually the fact that it was actually always Putting out errors, if you ran it from the console, you see all these warnings, right, that were there. Whereas, you know, like in I believe it was just Jest, and it was just Jest and was executing after the test was run. So you get the big warning message and going, hey, your code's still running, but the test is finished. You know, so the test actually never passed. But the person never ran the test. All right. So if they ran the test, they would have seen that error and they would have fixed it up. It wasn't because that they were just negligent or bad programmers or anything. They had precious time on them, and they're just trying to ship as fast as they can. They did it. They saw the, the green tick at the bottom of the screen and then shipped it, right, and shipped faster. And all so the way- what what would you change? What do you think the problem was there? That- I thought the problem was actually initially not pairing Right? right? Hmm. Uh, but a deadline was being given, right, and people felt this need to comply with this deadline, and they've given it to one poor developer who's sitting in the corner who's working so hard and he's trying to cut every corner he can to meet this deadline, which is generally, mostly, they're artificial things. You know, it should be, you don't ship non-quality goods, right? You ship great stuff. You ship um, half-baked goods, then, you know, people aren't going to come back, you know, and enjoy it. The, code, the
0: benefit pairing
1: pairing is going to be
0: when when two people work together on a piece of code so that they can actually bring the cycle time down really really low and get feedback immediately yeah. and get that quality baked right in right from the start. Is yeah,
1: people people seem to think that the quality is added by the test, all right, or by the PR review, right? Whereas both of those are just saying, "Hey, I'm going to try and tack quality on the end." Like I've written really bad software in the past, and I've had it pass my really bad tests right? Um, <laughs> the whole thing was just jank. It doesn't mean any of it was right. Um, I've worked with people in the past, though, where we've had different working styles, right? Whereas mine is a kick the doors down and get it done and ship it and get it going, right? And just keep pushing forward, right? Always relentlessly pushing forward. And I've worked with people who are the opposite, right? Who like to go slow, who like to think it's through. And we've actually, when you pair with those, completely different people you get a contest of ideas right so that quality is happening as you're building they're seeing that and they're going yeah that's good but is it really what you wanted to build and you sit there and you go i hate you because you're right um i hate everything about it and be going but you're wrong as well right and then you start debating you start working at so that's right before you've even shipped it you know Mm -hmm. Um, You're not putting it into a PR. You're not putting it into a branch. You're going back and you're iterating again and and then you're getting it right. And then you're asking those questions. Can I make it any better? And then the quality is great. And then you ship it to a PR review, you know, and your tests are going to go well. Um, And then you're going to not have that flakiness. And you know what? You might blow out that deadline that you've given yourself, but you're not going to spend all that time later trying to fix these things, right? So you're actually going to go faster in the longevity of the business but not just for that particular feature
0: yeah
2: i've seen in places and going to be careful not to generalize or be, they'll be there will be definitely in holes in what i say but i've seen in places where they they'll work on this project they'll do a sprint or whatever and then they're like oh yeah the the technical leadership said we need to add tests and then they add them at the end and to me that's just like a waste of time because it's like what is the purpose of that test if you because you usually that person's like manually tested the thing anyway they know it works that's the thing that validates whether the thing is you know done or not adding these like tests at the end is like is that helping me in the future or is that helping me now because if it's helping me in the future often what what i see is then people go oh you just added this feature or changed this thing and it broke the test and then people like like the test broke and then they go in and then they fix it make it go green and again it was I think what is the purpose of this thing did it did it save us like did what did it communicate anything like to me good tests are like documentation it's you're testing an interface and then the test is literally saying I expect to be able to interact with the system in this manner and this is the behavior I expect from it and so- it's
1: it's actually getting worse Patrick right because I've actually got tests now we've got uh google Co- uh, github copilot on there right uh, and it's reading all your other tests right and then using that to define what the new tests are and it's auto generating all the basic ones but if you feed it garbage <laughs> it produces garbage as well right like, so it, like, yeah, yeah.
2: Like, like in a well-managed project i ought to be able to like i understand it's not always um possible but i ought to be able to go to like into the projects and if they've done they've got a good some good sort of tests i sh- should be able to go into that and read those tests and i get start to understand how the system works and if i go into the test and it's just like testing like arbitrary crap that doesn't really it's just like it's just noise it's just like it's just it's, it's just i don't know i just find that sort of stuff like and like i've worked in places where they've got tests and like oh you have to have this like high amount of tests and coverage and blah 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 but then they do like these manual testing days, like, oh, we're gonna ship this feature, everyone get on board, the whole team's gonna spend a whole day like manually testing this thing. That's like, well, what the hell is the point of these automated tests? Like, they're just a waste of time. Like, you're adding, you're doing this extra effort for nothing. Like, good testing for me is actually a form of developer laziness, where I'm automating the manual testing. I don't wanna like, every time I change a feature, have to manually test, go log in, create an account, blah, blah, blah. want to be lazy i want to use code and automate that thing and then i don't have to you know now that process that took 20 minutes takes like you know 20 seconds
0: yeah i remember i'll i agree with both of what you said uh there was a i used to um uh work at a bank many years ago and there was once tester that was legendary and he was there was a story that we would tell about this person right that you know this person was such a good tester that you know, they came into the role, wrote, you know, they used to do manual testing back then. This is more than 10 years ago. Uh, Instead of doing all the manual testing, they wrote some code, wow, and they automated it. And then they eventually got it to a point where they'd come into work, sit there and read a book and do other things, Mm because they didn't actually need to do the manual work. They had to sit there, drink coffee, read a book and get paid because they'd already written the automation. Um, In a way, that's exactly what that is. Uh, I'd I'd phrase it a little bit differently. I think for me, I'll, I'll paraphrase it but to me it's about the reducing the cycle time between creating code and knowing whether it worked or not right so pairing is exactly that i've written some code and this person right next to me is analyzing what i'm doing and they give me feedback really really quick about whether this is good or bad writing a test right then and there and checking it again telling me whether this is passing or failing writing a test hopefully maybe with the intention of in the future, checking it because this is important, and giving me feedback again. But it's always about making it as short as possible, so that when you make some change, any change, you
1: know whether that was good or bad.
2: Yeah, it gives you confidence, right? That's right.
1: I have the empathy for young developers who are coming in, right? Because you know, we create a card, give them a card, chuck them in the corner, said, "Go and ship this," and then we go, "Hey." Your test is flaky in CI every now and then. You go and fix it. And you go, but we actually haven't, you know, Patrick's got his way of doing things. I've got mine. The way we would converse is by pairing, right? We would share that knowledge transfer. You know, I remember watching a, a video on from Sandy Metz on testing in Ruby, right? And, and for me, that was life-changing to watch the way she did her um testing, you know, where it's basically testing the outputs. And if you're getting the same output, then do you need all that code? If you deleted that code and you got the same output, what purpose is it? You know, that refactoring process was just brilliant. Um, You know, how do I show someone that code, right? Just point that video, you know, it's, it's those ancillary human things of how you're doing that day-to-day coding. You go, oh, have you ever seen that video? You know, and you take a break, you send them a link, they have a quick look at it and they go, I'm gonna watch that over lunch, you know, and just, that process of growth is just enormous right the output from your day-to-day work to me isn't a great feature or a great test it's a better team right so if each day it's a little bit better then what you can accomplish together as a whole group is going to be almost so much better than what you do individually or a set of individuals and that's how you end up with messy code bases as well yeah, yeah. it's a bit unmaintainable if you're <laughs> all doing your own things Love it. Love it, guys. Shall
0: we call it? It's uh, it's yeah. game time. Uh, this has been awesome. Let's do this again next week. Yeah, let's do it. Sounds yeah. good. Okay. Bye. Bye, everyone.